This is Sports Content Kings, talking to today's brightest minds in sports and entertainment. Welcome to Sports Content Kings, brought to you by WSC Sports, a podcast dedicated to today's brightest minds in sports, figuring out the latest trends and technologies shaping the industry. I'm Aviv, one of the founders of WSC Sports and Chief Business Development Officer. Happy to be here together with my brother. I'm Shaka, VP Business Development at WSC Sports. We are the Arnon Brothers. And today we are joined by Tomasz Devenishek, founder and CEO of Kuro Sports. It was great and thanks Tomasz for coming and hope you all enjoy. Hello Aviv, how's it going? All good. Back here from New York this time. From New York, yeah. Every every time you're in a different place, so I'm still still in one place in Tel Aviv. Aviv, we have a very interesting guest with us today. We have Tomas Devenishek. He's the founder and CEO of Kiro Sports. How's it going, Tomas? Very good, guys. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm very excited. Thanks for coming. I think it would be good to start with maybe you introducing yourself and in, uh, in a few sentences, and we'll take it from there. Yeah, happy to. Uh, so I'm the founder and CEO of a company called Kiro Sports. We are a micro betting provider, both for the sports industry as well as the sports betting industry. So we kind of live in across the spectrum of sports. And what we do primarily in, in a few sentences is we build algorithms that figure out in real time what is actually the most contextual thing that people could predict. Let's just use the word predict for now about the game and then create odds against that and continue to do that operation across the entire game, right? So if you're watching a basketball game, typically if you open a sports book, you'll see a bunch of different lines. Will this player score X points or whatever? Well, that is kind of irrelevant when Jimmy Butler scores three three-pointers in a row, right? Because you just saw him do something crazy. And so that the, him being on fire scoring continuous three-pointers is actually the thing and so our algorithms pick that up and then turn that into a highly contextual prediction opportunity let's just say it's like creating a line essentially creating well creating the line is sort of the odds making part of this and so th- there's that component of course but also like teasing out the the, the recommended thing right it's it's kind of i don't want to speak to your business too much but you get a lot of content right there's a lot of cameras, there's a lot of angles and everything, but like, what is it that you want? Well, you want that dunk, right? That's the thing that everybody's going to want to see. So we sort of do that, but from a predictive step. We're jumping quickly, but there's a lot of things happening concurrently in a lot of places, and there may be a lot of different things that might be of interest, right? So how do you surface what you would uh, take as, a, as an interesting uh, thing to, like, to look at to create an, a prediction? Well, sometimes it's not one. Sometimes it's multiple things for sure, right? Like this player got six rebounds in a row and this guy just caught his fifth shot in a row, right? So you would surface both of those things. So it's not down to like a singular thing. It's more about how do you extract of all the possibilities? Because I think the array of all the possible things that people could bet on, just like the array of all the possible pieces of content during a game is it's hundreds of thousands, if not millions. How do you distill that down to those few things that are actually relevant in that moment? So look, we jumped really quickly into the, the business. I have a ton of questions, but maybe you can walk us through and take us a bit to the origin and to your, your origin story. 
What did you do before? How did you get to this? Exactly. What, what made you come and describe to us how fans engage or how you tap into those moments? There's, there's a background story that I'm sure brought you here that, that is interesting to talk about. Absolutely. It starts in Israel, funny enough. So I'll bring it all back together. So I immigrated to Israel when I was nine. And up until then, I wasn't, let's say, a big sports fan, right? Because I was born in Kazakhstan, of all places, so not a, not a big sports country. So I'm in Israel, and uh, one of my best friends was a big Maccabi Haifa guy in football. And naturally, I adopted, and so now I'm a big Maccabi Haifa guy. And this is back in like I'm Ravivo days. I don't know if you guys like Israeli soccer. Terrible time for Maccabi fans, Maccabi Tel Aviv fans. Yeah, <laughs> But so that gets me an introduction to sports, right? And then I, my first bar mitzvah present as a computer, first thing I get is FIFA, and now we're playing FIFA all day. So, you know, became a massive fan of football or soccer, depending on which, which country you're in. And so then I immigrate to Canada when I'm 15, go to university, graduate, go to work, and I worked in a lot of different places, but primarily building technology and mass scale sort of consumer technology, right? As a CEO, as a head of product. And um, about three and a half, four years ago now, I'm in a place where I have a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of sort of smart folks that I can go and ask questions or potentially get funding for stuff. And I'm trying to think like, what is the one thing that I'm passionate about where I have a deep insight that the, the industry is not really kind of addressing just yet. And so what I'm passionate about for sure is sports. And the insight was that if you look at a traditional sports book experience, it's basically a static menu of hundreds of things that you can bet on, right? So you as a user, you have to open it up, find the game, and then look through categories of things for you to bet on while calculating probabilities and everything else. And, and that's work, right? As a user, you're performing a work. Now, if you're doing that before the game starts, that's fine, because what you're doing is you're looking for risk to trade, right? So you have an insight that Maccabi Haifa is terrible and Olber Sheva is going to destroy them in this game. So you'll go and find that line. But if you're watching the game in real time, your primary objective is to be entertained, because why else are you watching the game? And entertainment directly conflicts with work. Right, like you cannot both, um, unless you're a founder and, and a masochist like us, right? Like you, work is not entertainment. So, as a user, especially on kind of the macro level, what you need is stuff that allows you to get entertainment without a lot of effort. And like you don't need to take my word for it. You can just look at what the mainstream apps of the day are, right? Like Instagram, TikTok, etc. What? Why are they so prevalent? It's because there's very little work that you have to do. You just sort of swipe up next piece of content, swipe up, next piece of content. And so that was my insight. But remember, I've, I've never touched the betting industry. I've never worked in the sports industry. So I have nothing kind of to go on except for a very strong hunch that if you can give people during the game contextual things that they can predict, there's an opportunity there. Let, let me stop you there for a second. It's very uh, obvious in soccer because there are not so many goals, but I'll give an example from soccer. Let's say you watch a game with a few friends and then you say, look, that they're not uh, at best form. They're going to get a goal before halftime ends, right? And then they get uh, a, score, a goal scored against them. Then you will say, ah, told you so. That The prediction itself is like 
part of the engagement and part of uh, you know the the fan interest that you have with your friends watching the game together. So even that when it's such a small and stupid thing like that that enhances uh, how you watch the game. So what you're saying is maybe tapping into that general theme and taking it to the next level and obviously making it much more sophisticated and much more uh, let's say the the stakes are higher so the excitement is higher so sorry just had to jump into yeah no but the, that's it yeah that's it because as fans you you have intuition about stuff we're not sort of aware of the fact that we're processing the game right but if you so i'm a big real madrid fan and i'll give you an example of kind of part of where this idea was born uh sergio ramos who if you guys like football you would know who that is very aggressive player so if he ever had a yellow card before the 60th minute or something there's just a high likelihood that he's going to get a red right 80 percent right exactly <laughs> so it's like intuitively as soon as i see him get that yellow in the first half i'm like oh man he's going to get sent off this game you know and so there's that in a lot of fans and it doesn't matter what the sport is we are analyzing the game and intuitively making certain assumptions about what's going to happen next so how do you take that? And because although you could say, well, that's you, you can't put your finger on what that looks like. You kind of can't because there's a lot of stuff that's happening in the game. And now with data that, that gets better and better by the day, you can actually pick some of those themes. It's all about themes, right? So if Real Madrid are attacking the other side a lot, well, you could say, let's say if it's Barcelona, you know that they're going to start fouling or Atletico Madrid, actually an even better example, right? Because Atleti are an aggressive team. You can say, okay, will Atleti foul Real Madrid because they they've not been able to get out of their own box, right? Like things like that. And so, how do you find those trends, pull them out, and then turn them into something that can contextually ask those questions, which are almost like that example, Shaka, that you gave of if there were two friends sitting together watching that game, like what would they bet a beer on with each other? You know, because to me that is entertaining. That makes it exciting if you can continue that process, right? That's kind of the the key thing is that for us we look at how often are we generating a new betting opportunity or a predictive opportunity, and it has to be fifteen to thirty seconds. Like if you go longer than that, then, then sort of people disengage because you've given them entertainment, and then you've brought them down to zero, right? So you can't do that. You got to constantly feed them more and more stuff. So, Tomashi, you've been talking about what drove you to build it, but can you describe then the business? Like what, so what's the product exactly and how does it plug into our entertainment experience, right? Yeah, the, the good, good question. So at the foundation level is a bunch of algorithms, as I said, and, and there are two groups. One group establishes what people should bet on. Let's just say what is the exciting stuff. And the other group figures out what the odds are for that. Right, so so that's the base level, and then on top of that, there that's in sports betting or or in your business. Well, well yes, yeah, so I was so uh, assume it's just a hobby, right? Like I built two algorithms that can figure out what's fun to bet on in a basketball game, and then give you good odds for that. Right. Okay. So so that's the foundation, and then on top of that foundation, we have two lines of business. The first line of business, and this is part of the that Genesis story, which I can go into a bit more if you guys would like is the pro sports world. So today we work with, I believe, seven NBA teams, uh, seven NFL teams, a bunch of MLB, a bunch of NHL broadcasters, et cetera. And what we do is we give them a fan engagement solution that lives typically inside their apps, whereby 
fans can watch the game, predict what's going to happen next, talk to each other, win prizes like tickets, jerseys, etc. And that is a full product. So we built the front end, the back end, etc. And we sort of give that either as an SDK or an iframe for those partners to embed. And that's a SaaS business. And that's actually how I started because I didn't start with millions of dollars. I, I put a little bit of my money in and I was doing a lot of the stuff myself. Um, so to go and find that initial product market fit or sort of like test the hypothesis, what we ended up doing was working with one team in the NHL two weeks before the pandemic, funny enough, is when we launched, just to see, like, would this work? Would people engage with this? Like, what would the engagement be, et cetera? And lucky for me, we had those couple of weeks because engagement was incredible. And so by the time that COVID hit and all sports start, stopped, I had the data to validate that I should keep going. You know, because it was very sort of small back then. It was kind of like, should I do this? Should I not? You know, I could go get a job versus not have make any money and, and be spending money. So it was it was sort of really good timing because it gave me a pause, but also some good validation. And then on the back of COVID, a lot of sports properties started to look for digital things because they couldn't have fans in arena, right? So so it sort of gave us a nice macro tailwind whereby before nobody cared about their digital stuff. Now everybody does. And so we quickly got our first NBA team, NFL team, et cetera. And that gave me the initial kind of revenue through the door that I could kind of validate and say, look, well, I have major league teams paying for this. Imagine if this was for real money. And so then I went and raised my first round and then the second round and then the third round, et cetera, which I won't go too, too deep into that. But so that's vertical one, right? We work with pro sports world and there's now, uh, broadcasters in, in that category as well. And then the second column is the sports betting, right? So that is primarily us being an odds feed provider. So if you're a, an operator and you have, as I said, that big static menu of 300 things that people could bet on, well, now you can add one thing right at the top during the game that is the recommended and that resolves quite quick, right? So it's it's typically the, the, the market that we make, they're not sort of game long ones, they're two to five minutes long, right? So it's like you can quickly repeat the, uh, the, the betting behavior and, you know, some you win, some you lose, but, but it kind of becomes a, an entertainment factor, you know, almost like a slots machine of sports. So what you do is it has a very short half-life, either you uh, jump in or you bug out from this uh, instance and then maybe later during the game, something else, else will pop up for me as a fan. Exactly. Every 15 to 30 seconds, there's new stuff that's being generated. But then everything that's generated sort of has a life span of about uh, like maximum five minutes. Yeah, interesting. How is it fundamentally different than like other normal prop bets that they would have, like in-game bets that they would have in the, in the betting operators? Yeah, so most in-game bets are just moving the line, right? So you would still have the traditional line of like, will Jimmy Butler have more than 26 and a half points today? And what happens is the odds are moving on yes as he gets closer to 26 and a half, right? But the proposition remains static. The proposition is the same and you still have to wait until the end of the game for the proposition, i.e. you're only going to bet one, two, or three things and then you're out. With us, what we see on our product is some people are betting hundreds of times a day because they, again, they bet, they win, great, now I have, you know, I bet $5, now I have 10, let me bet again, or I lose the five, let me bet again, now I have 10 again. And so you're sort of creating tremendous amount of, uh, it's called handle in the business. 
because the process of betting changes from this kind of static one-off trading exercise to more of, as I said, kind of casino style experience. I don't know if you guys ever play slots, right? But it's more of a slots experience because, you know, with slots you press, you win, press, lose, press. And, and so you- there's an incredible amount of, you know, psychological research going into those slots to see what, uh, what engages people more. So my question to you is, what's this? <laughs> Addiction by design? <laughs> it's, it's a deep dive into, uh, it's called machine gambling in Las Vegas, but it, it sort of uh, unlocks how social media, how apps like Uber and everyone else are doing a lot of research and taking a lot of the principles from the, the kind of the physiological principles that like make humans love slots, right? There's something about repeatable dopamine. All the gamification applications that, that every business is trying to apply now to their experience is to, to get to become more sticky, right? That. So obviously there's a, you know, an abuse part of it if it goes too far, but there's a very exciting area that's where you sit in and the engagement will be better and the viewer experience will be better and, and the fans will uh, you know, have, again, more interest in the games that are happening, even if they're not a Maccabi Haifa fan and Maccabi Haifa is playing, they would really enjoy the game. So a question for you on the, on the experience itself is that those short-lived prop bets, if you will, or I don't know if you have a specific name for it, I can't remember. Micromarkets. Micromarkets. So the, they would be the same for everyone who is using the app, or do you have it segmented? Is it tailored to the fan? How, how do you apply it? It's a great question. It, it touches on kind of the evolution of the company. They were the same up until very recently, because theoretically, you know, if we're both watching the same game, it's the, most of the stuff is going to be exciting for both of us. But what happens as we tap into uh, better data, right? In some sports now, we're getting access to like X, Y coordinates of the ball and the player is that you go back to the original problem, which is now you have hundreds of things that might be exciting, right? So like take a football game, uh, let's say it's PSG versus Man City or something. You got a lot of star players and that you can make bets on, like, will he complete his next pass? Will he get in the box? Will he have a cross, et cetera? But there's a lot, right? So the objective is to not make the user do work. We go back to my original introduction. So what you have to do now is you have to personalize, right? So Shaka gets the Alan will not have a touch in the box, and Aviv is like uh, Ashraf Hakimi is going to have a cross into the box or something. Yeah, and, and if I was a linebacker in high school football, then maybe I'm looking at completely different things as opposed to someone who's just casually watching the game, looking only at the quarterback. So how, so how about applying content and video to that? Because we're looking at that from the video stand, like the content standpoint. So as you, you mentioned Instagram and TikTok and, every, and, and all those very engaging platforms that really creating a personalized feed and an experience for, for each one of us to, to be as addictive as possible. But uh, it, in content, in sports, WSC, our platform, what it does, it helps create videos that can be tailored for different fans or different platforms or different experiences in order to to cater to the different scenarios where fans are actually engaging with, with the sports. And then for betting, this is really uh, something we've been, everybody in the industry has been talking about how is content going to be applied because betting, uh, betting is a type of entertainment as well as 
uh, viewing and uh, and reading and engaging and being a sports fan in general so so how do, how do you see that come together I think we see the world like I was really excited to come on the podcast because I think we do similar things ultimately what we're doing is we're helping people get to the outcome faster right and you do that through content we do that through an abet recommendation but we can do the deal right now like I think that they're very complementary things uh, because I do think content feeds it and like we actually do some of what you're kind of envisioning but through text because we would literally say like Real Madrid have fouled so-and-so three times now will they do it again right so we were sort of describing yeah but imagine we had the video right like it would be amazing so i 100 agree it's all about entertainment and i think the biggest elements of live game right because there are different stages to how people consume sports there's the pre-game etc we, we think purely about the in-game experience i think in-game it's content and betting 100 How do you think about the sports betting experience in general because it's very much like it's it's not on par with content and with everything we're talking about to like to the the traditional betting experience you were talking about removing making it as much like less work as possible for the for the fan and that hasn't been the case traditionally but now there's sort of an evolution in, in sports betting so How do you see the the market evolving? I think that the way a good lens through which you can analyze the sports betting world is I think for a long time it was a prosumer industry. And what I mean by a prosumer is the user had to be a very sort of skilled and intentional user. So and you can find that in many like we're both I'm assuming we're all technical founders, right? Like there's a lot of stuff that like my DevOps guys use that's not user-friendly, but he's a DevOps guy, so he doesn't care. He just needs the tool to work. He'll spend as much time as necessary because he's trying to achieve an objective. The mass audience does not work that way. And the biggest example of that is the smartphone. If you guys, I'm sure you remember, BlackBerry was kind of the tool, right? And it was prosumer. And there's actually a, a, a video somewhere. It was probably Steve Ballmer, I think, of Microsoft, because they asked him, like, what do you think about the iPhone? He said, not worried about that doesn't have a keyboard right because his whole audience as a sort of b2b supplier around enterprise was it was business it was prosumers and he was like no we don't care and then what did the iphone do it made everything easier put all the stuff you need in one place and took over the consumer industry and then came back and took over the the enterprise industry and i think that's what's going to happen in sports better it was a frog leap for some generations you know our parents generation that could never send an email or never do a performance a Google search. We're now inside the internet doing everything, you know, everything was curated for them it, from not being able to open a computer and, and using it at all to having, you know, uh, sore thumbs from, from clicking on a, on an iPhone. That was a frog leap. So yeah, it's a good example of how making it easy, uh, changes how people interact with it completely, not just Not incremental, but complete shift in and how everything works. And which people can interact with it, right? Because if the objective is to grow it, to kind of move it from X to 20X, well, you have to figure out what, it, not to go on a crazy tangent, but I think crypto has that problem, right? Crypto, everyone is like, well, when the upside is there, people will put in the work to learn how to get a wallet and whatever. 
But as a mass consumer, people don't want to do work. And so if you have to have wallets and pass phrases and whatever, like people are just not going to do that work. So you have to abstract as much of the work if you want to have a mass audience product. And I think uh, podcasting is also an example. It used to be really hard. It's not like it never existed 30 years ago. You couldn't record yourself and put it on some website. You could. It was not easy. And now everybody's doing it. But yeah, you, you want to make sure that it's not just for the savvy user or prosumer, as he said. I, li- I like that term. Talking about barriers to, to entry and barriers to like, uh, for, for adoption, like, and even like mass adoptions of, of new behaviors. And I think uh, as a tech startup uh, entrepreneurs, like we're basically trying to envision and create those new, uh, new terms in which pe- uh, people uh, engage and, uh, and work by, right? Like, so it's uh, creating though a massive shift in behavior is a hard task and that actually i'd say you know when we build a consumer product that's like really hard because you need to go and engage fans like create all that all the traction yourself the distribution yeah, yeah you need to find the customers right yourself. and get yeah. and do all the marketing and get them and also make sure that you can keep them with you and engage them long enough to actually adopt and, and change uh, behavior but we're B2B and, 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 and you are as well. But then there's already an audience and a market for sports betting and a lot of investment going into that. But then they are trying to get to the masses and get the barrier to enter and to place your first sports bet or later open your sports betting app consecutively when you're watching sports to make that a new behavior. And that's a challenge that there's been a lot of money poured into in the last, uh, last several years. So you're seeing a lot of traction with the, with the sports books. Like, is everybody looking into that? Are they building their own thing, or like you, you got a good uh, differentiation there that they all need you? How does that work? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. In the U.S., there's a little bit of consolidation in that uh, the sports book operators tend to kind of host or own their entire stack, and there are many layers. Right, you've got your like layer account management your front end, your odds makers, blah, blah, blah. But globally, it's really not like that. Globally, most of the, not all, but a lot of the sports books are basically just white. It's a, it's a mishmash of white labeled stuff with the logo on top. And so, of course, it's much easier for us to, um, to operate there because there's less of that consolidation. But even in the US, you know, there's uh, outside of the big guys who tend to want to either build everything or buy everything and kind of not have anyone have what they have, there's enough opportunity. And uh, for the most part, I, I think that regardless of whether you have deep pocketed kind of competitors or whatever, if you're, if you're passionate and you are effective at what you do on a long enough time horizon, you'll, you'll figure it out. Right. And I, and I do think that we work with that with a very unique mission that we have not, since day one, have not changed. And that gives me a lot of confidence that we'll succeed. Uh, you have to. You have to be uh, passionate and go through walls. It's uh, My guess would have been, though, that the U.S. as a sports betting industry is still at its infancy. And then the behavior of the consumers, there's no prosumers because it was illegal basically up until a few years ago. And then everybody needs to, like, you, you need to get to the masses and quickly so that they would be in a different, like the market would be with a different mindset. And it is more entrenched with what 
with traditional entertainment that used to be the way you engage fans up until now and not as saturated a market as it is in Europe. So, so how do you reconcile that? That sounds like you were saying it's like easier overseas. That's surprising. It's not that it's easier. I was saying it's more ripe overseas because people are less inclined to want to own what they offer. I think in the US, it's the reasons that you've mentioned, but also that the audience is very entertainment hungry. Right? Like it's just an entertainment-driven culture. So that helps. The challenge really lies with the fact that in the US, you have basically two or three brands that kind of own the whole market, right? So, and then like 40 others that are like 1% in some states. That's the challenge. Whereas globally, you've got just this wide network of customers. And industry-wise, it's about 10 to 1 global to US. So it's you know, you, you've, got, you've got kind of these ripe opportunities in a place where it's less difficult. And then, you know, regulatory as well, because we would be called what's a, a supplier, right? And so you have to go get licensed in every state, et cetera, whereas globally, sometimes you can kind of bypass that. And so, yeah, there, there's a lot of complexity to the distribution side of things, but no, we're focused on the U.S. as much as we're focused on, on the world. So you do have your work cut, cut out for you with compliance and educating the market and going and trying to uh, you know change behaviors and all that, and what you described is a, is a very cool experience that's coming and improving in the betting realm. But if we, can I challenge you to maybe zoom out and look further even to the future? How do you see the the experience in sports uh, viewership and the engagement maybe beyond what we described, which is again very exciting for the next coming few years? But maybe if you'll if you'll try to look. Three, five, ten years to the future. Do you have any any vision that you're uh, pushing towards, or that you can, uh, if you can share? Absolutely. Funny enough, you you already mentioned it. I think for me, the vision of the future is is all around personalization in sports betting, because that's how content is driven. And so, if you assume that betting is going to be part of a kind of content stream. For, for users, right? Like that, that the betting content is also content. It has to get personalized across everything. Because as I said, you know, we specialize in a very narrow set of micro markets today, right? It's the Will Jimmy Butler scores next three pointer. And that's it. We don't do the player props of like over under 25 and a half. But in the future, I think you will have to kind of aggregate all of those things together and create a betting experience that's far more smooth in terms of the number of clicks because today it's just too many clicks and clicks is work right so how do you get them from 30 to three and from making one bet to making 10 bets again like that's that's the future that i see uh and for sure we're working across all those things within our niche but continuously expanding obviously like personalization aviva i think i'm going to make it a point to to say this in every episode i'm going to say it now the future of sports, I think, is transitioning from VOD and maybe live to, to VOC. VOC is control. The fans want control. They want to be able to see what they want and nothing else and get maybe the push to them, stuff that they know would be interesting to, for them and maybe filter out stuff that's less interesting, being able to curate for, for themselves. The control the fans will have will enhance, accelerate, and, and it, I think that's the future of VOC in sports, both in the live viewing experience and before and after the game. 
And Shaga, not to challenge you, but I think control to me implies effort, right? Anytime Completely true. somebody pitches something that, that has user effort on it as a mass feature, I always sort of tend to challenge it. I think discovery is part of it, but like discovery has to add value, right? So I think if you push 50 pieces of content to me, you're, you've lost me after the first three. But if you got me during one of those few three, you bought another six from me. And if you gave me two more good ones out of the six, then you bought me for another 14. And so on. So you can get me to 50, right? But it has to be sort of, there, there has to be a value exchange. So I think it's all about curating things to people in a way that actually adds entertainment value. It's a complex system. It's much more challenging than just to, hey, just send stuff to, to segments of, of users. No, the savvy user would want to go and, you know, run a BA on uh, some game as they're, uh, as they're exploring the, the different lines. And uh, the casual user, the casual fan, would want a, a decent recommendation based on how, what he or she uh, usually does or something that's interesting that sparks interest. And you, you need to be able to understand what the user wants in their control framework, if you will. Again, this, uh, this comes in with uh, a lot of psychology research that would have to be done, but that, that's what it is. The, the users already got a lot more control than what they had 20, 15, five years ago, and that will, uh, will continue to evolve. And I think uh, what you're doing is, uh, is very exciting in that space and, and takes us towards that direction. As are you guys. That's why I was so, so excited to come because I think we're doing the same thing, but in different sort of buckets of, of the sports world. So with that, I have uh, maybe one last thing that, uh, that's also common for both of us. I want to ask you about as an entrepreneur in sports, you talked about the passion. You talked about what drove you actually to, to get into this and, uh, uh, and try it. And you talked about the masochism being, uh, it's not entertainment when it's work, but the reason we're all here, like working in sports and, you know, tech, coming from a tech background and now building a company, going through the roller coaster and being in this industry, working with seven NBA teams, seven NFL teams. How great is that? And, and also, if you want to tell us, you, you're mentioning launching two weeks before COVID, sports stops. I don't know, like uh, <laughs> then trying to raise money. I don't know. It's a crazy world to be in and specifically to be tech founder in sports. Uh, in what you probably grew up uh, loving as a fan and wanting to be around that, and now you're here in this industry. So what can you, what can you tell us about that journey? Other than being a player, right? Because at some point when you're a young kid, you realize like, okay, I'm not going to be as good as like, my friend. So I'm not going to be a pro. I actually had a dream. I remember when I moved to Canada, I wanted to work for EA Sports because I just loved FIFA so much, right? So I was like, okay, I can't, like I, I played with my friends, but I, I was like, I will never be a professional football player, but I want to work on FIFA. And so obviously years later now, I think I'm doing a better thing than if I was an engineer at FIFA, but <laughs> at EA Sports. Yeah, look, it's uh, as any entre entrepreneur knows, it's, if it was easy, everybody would do it, right? You have to be able to absorb a certain amount of pain and uh, stay through certain things that would typically discourage you from continuing on, whether it's, you know, finances or losing deals or getting negative feedback from somebody like an investor or something. But I think, as I've told you guys, for me, I tried to be, I've been around entrepreneurship enough to see when people were stuck for no reason. 
you know, like they should clearly quit, but they didn't. And I was not fully data driven, but I had certain things that I wanted to see before I would continue. Right. And so that, that those first few weeks, I'll give you guys an example. Like I didn't know what to expect. Right. So we, we, we launched with an NHL team. We, we had uh, an experience in their app, et cetera. And I was like, well, what would the, what should the numbers be for somebody who was going to sit, have an app in their hand, watch a, a hockey game. And luckily we had a little pilot and it was something like, I think 12 minutes was the average time on device and they were making like 10 bets or 10 prediction. And I thought, okay, now we're going to go live next week. And I got so scared because I thought, well, we, we piloted it with their most engaged fans, right? Like people that, so now we're, they're going to democratize it and there's going to be a lot of unengaged fans and everything is going to tank. And I remember we launched and I think something about the kind of the community aspect that just got more exciting for everybody. And like those metrics just flew up and we actually crashed. <laughs> there was some downtime. Of course, it was game. too good. Yeah, yeah. It was too good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was one of those data points where I was like, okay, I know I have something. I don't know fully what, it, what it's going to become, but I know I have something here and I have to kind of put more effort in. So I think this combination of being pragmatic and data-driven, but also passionate and, and stubborn sometimes, I think it's a good one. Because if you're one or the other, then, you know, you, you need the blend. Tomas, I think uh, there are a lot of interesting things coming down the pipe. So very exciting. Yeah, good luck. Do you have any, anything, any place you want to share for people to, to follow you, to touch base with you? Um, Where can people find you? Yeah, LinkedIn is great. Uh, or, you know, find us on our website, kurosports.com. But uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I, I check it regularly, as I'm sure, I'm assuming you guys do. <laughs> We all live there. Great. And let's stay in touch and see how this evolves. The really interesting stuff, entertainment and sports. Uh, we're in the same world. So I'm sure this will evolve significantly in the, in the near future. We both are working on it. So uh, thanks for sharing everything today. Thank you for having me, genuinely. It was great. N and nice to meet you guys, finally. I've heard a lot about you. Very interesting conversation, huh? Yeah, I think this one, uh, it's interesting to see. I feel like a lot of uh, parallel lines and similarities and the experience he's going through, it's, uh, it's familiar. And really interesting, interesting industry. And I think one of the perks for us doing uh, this podcast is this... Uh, puts our attention on some interesting uh interesting companies interesting future endeavors and it's uh, it was very good to meet Tomash for the first time even though you know we we should have crossed paths before and the, the podcast brings us those opportunities so that's also also great besides the fact that it's so much fun to talk to our to our partners and to people that we already know getting to know the best in the industry is, is awesome yeah i really think he He's on the spot on spot with like uh with the insights and uh, it was really interesting to hear from him and also get the experience and the, you know some of the numbers and and uh, and things that they're they're working on so really interesting and uh, i'm glad we i'm glad we did it yeah. we'll be keeping an eye on them right yeah uh follow up with Tomash. it was great all right aviv till next time thank See you. you soon thanks to all of you for listening you enjoyed the show please rate us and leave a review or share the show with a friend and if you haven't subscribed yet please do so now so that you never miss a new episode we are your hosts i am shaka and i'm aviv 
We are the Arnon Brothers, and this has been Sports Content Kings by WSC Sports. Thank you all for joining and looking forward to seeing you here again in the future.